7, 11 to 19. We're going to continue um, talking about Melchizedek and how he is a superior high priest uh, and how Jesus, our high priest, is on the same order like Melchizedek. Last week we stopped at uh, verse 10. Today we're going to pick up from verse 11 to verse 19. Here is what the author of Hebrews said. <clears throat> Therefore, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek, and not called according to the order of Aaron? Verse 12, for the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken uh, belongs to another tribe from which no man was officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the power of his endless life. Amen? This is an amazing verse. Who has come not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the power of his endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Amen. Can we read verse 18 and 19 one more time? It's just so powerful. Let's read it together, 18 and 19. For on one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its wickedness and the unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Amen. So, um, again, we've been talking about the book of Hebrews now for 27 weeks, and we said that the point of that book is that Jesus is superior, Christianity is superior than Judaism, and because of that, the author of Hebrews is encouraging his reader never to consider abandoning Christianity and go back to Judaism. We have arrived to his fourth argument, why Jesus is superior, and now he's arguing that Jesus is superior to Aaron. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, we saw that Jesus was superior to the prophets, and he's superior to the angels. In chapter 3 and chapter 4, we saw that Jesus was superior to Moses. And from chapter 5 all the way almost to the end of chapter 10, he's arguing that Jesus, as our high priest, is superior than Aaron, the high priest of the Old Testament. Amen? Amen. And we started, uh, we have arrived now to chapter uh, 7. And in chapter 7, the author of Hebrews is arguing how Jesus is a superior high priest because Jesus came a high priest on the order of Melchizedek, but Aaron did not, uh, was not on that order of Melchizedek. And because Melchizedek is greater than Aaron, which we have seen last week, therefore Christ's priesthood is greater than that of Aaron. You guys are with me? 
So let's break down chapter 7, where we're at right now. I want to highlight these outlines once again for you, because these outlines are essential to understanding the argument of the author of Hebrews, why Jesus is superior. In chapter 7, verse 1 to verse 28, pretty much the whole chapter, Christ is a superior high priest in comparison to Aaron. That's the whole point of chapter 7. You guys are with me? And the author of Hebrews gave us five reasons. I'm in the outlines, page 1. The author of Hebrews gave us five reasons why Jesus is a superior high priest than that of Aaron throughout chapter 7. The first reason, which we saw last week in the first 10 verses, is because Christ's priesthood came at a greater order or is of a greater order than that of Aaron. You guys are with me? Christ's priesthood came on the order of Melchizedek, and that order is greater than the order of Aaron. Today, we're going to see that Christ as our high priest is superior than that of Aaron, not just because it came in a greater order than of Aaron, but because it came in a different order than that of Aaron. You guys are with me? So there is two different arguments here. <coughs> Number one, the author of Hebrews arguing that Jesus as our high priest came and he's greater because he, his priesthood is greater than Aaron when it comes to measuring the greatness. But also, Jesus is a better high priest because he came in a totally different order than that of Aaron. Amen? It's different and it's better. That's what he's saying. And in order to support that argument, he quoted, like, throughout verse 11 to verse 19, the author of Hebrews started by talking about the insufficiency of the Levitical priesthood, how that did not work. And we see that in verse 11 and 12. Amen? And then in verse 13 to verse 17, he's introducing that new high priest, that better high priest, who he is and how he looks like. And then in verse 18 and 19, he's talking about the sufficiency of that new priesthood and Christ being our high priest. You guys are with me? So the argument here is this. Jesus is a better high priest because he came in a different order, not just a superior, higher order, but also in a totally different order than that of Aaron. Because the order of Aaron didn't even work. That's why the way of approaching God under the Old Testament needed to be changed. That's why Jesus came in a different order that does actually work. You guys are with me? So verses 1 and 10, Jesus came at a greater order. But verses 11 to 19, Jesus came in a different order. And why it needed to be different? Because the old system doesn't work. We need a system that does work. And that's the whole point of verse 11 to verse 19 here. You guys are with me? And then verse 20 to 22, he's arguing Jesus is a superior high priest because he was appointed by a divine oath. Verses 23 to 25, Jesus is a superior high priest because he is eternal. Verses 26 to 28, Jesus is a superior high priest because of who he is and his perfect sacrifice that he has done on the cross. Amen? So five reasons throughout chapter 7 that the author of Hebrews is presenting to us why Jesus is a superior high priest. Again, I want to emphasize the difference between the point of verse 1 to 10 versus verse 11 to verse 19. You guys are with me? In verse 1 to 10, Jesus is a better high priest because his order is superior than that of Aaron. 
Verses 11 to verse 19, Jesus is the better high priest because he came in a different order than that of Aaron because the order of Aaron, how people could approach God under the Levitical priesthood was non-functional. It was not working. That's why there has to be a change in the way of approaching God and that's why Jesus is a better high priest because he also came not just in a superior order but also in a different order. With me? Okay, so let's dig into these um, 10 verses real quick. Verse 11 to verse 12. Therefore, if perfection was through the Levitical, Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest that would come according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, it is necessity that there also will be a change of the law. In the beginning of verse 11, the author of Hebrews, if perfection comes through that Levitical priesthood, this is different, interesting, because that is the first time that the author of Hebrews applied the word perfection to the human race, you and me, that we can achieve that state of perfection. He talked before about Jesus achieving perfection a couple of times. You guys remember that? In chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, For it was fitting for God, of whom are everything, and by whom everything, in bringing, the captive, in bringing many children to glory, that he might perfect the captain of their salvation through suffering. You guys remember that part? But perfection there was a reference to Jesus. We have seen also in chapter 5, it says this, that though Jesus was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And then it says, having been perfected, right? He became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him, right? So again, in chapter 5, we see perfection, but it's not associated with you and me. It's associated with Jesus. And the author of Hebrews said here in chapter 5 that by obeying God, Jesus met all the requirement to become the author of eternal salvation to all those who meet him, right? Now, for the first time in the book of Hebrews, we see that the word perfection is not, apply, is not applied to Christ. It's applied to you and me that we also can reach that level of perfection. So what does he mean here? That perfection could not have been achieved by the Levitical priesthood and it needed to be changed. Obviously, the author of Hebrews is not talking about moral perfection. You guys are with me? It's not talking about you and me getting to the point that we can never sin. Because that will never happen, no matter what, because we are sinful people living in a sinful world, right? So he's not talking about you and me achieving moral perfection. So what is he talking about? What kind of perfection that the old system failed to accomplish and was able to be accomplished under the new system? We see what he exactly means by that in verse 19. If you go back with me and read verse 19, it says this. For the law made no, nobody perfect. Again, he's talking about the same principle here, verse 11. On, on the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So he's saying that the law did not make anything perfect, but what made everything perfect is that new hope, that better hope that has been introduced by Christ. And because of that new hope, we can draw near to God, right? 
So it seems like when the author of Hebrews is talking about perfection here, he's talking about how a sinful man can draw near to a holy and a righteous God. Amen? How can a sinful man meet the requirement, the goals by which sinful man and holy God can have a relationship and you and me can come close to God? And in an essence, what the author of Hebrews is saying here is this. The Old Testament system, the Levitical priesthood, failed to bring men closer to God. But the new system, the better one, is actually functional and it can bring sinful men closer to a holy and a righteous God. That is what he's referring to by the word perfection. You guys are with me? The problem is sin. And the Old Testament system, the Levitical priesthood, failed to utterly solve the problem of sin. And because of that, it by default failed to bring sinful men closer, to draw sinful men closer to a holy and a righteous God. The flip side of that, Jesus as our new high priest, a greater high priest, was actually able to solve the problem of sin. And because the problem has been solved, you and me now have better hope that by which we can draw closer to God. Amen? So that's what he's saying here. If the, if the Old Testament was able to solve the problem of sin, why there would be a need later on to say that there would be a different high priest on the order of Melchizedek and not on the order of Aaron? What is he talking about? When, where else it says, here's the question for you guys, when it says this in verse 11 and verse 12, <coughs> what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not, the according, not according to the order of Aaron. What is the author of Hebrews talking about here? That's a question for you. What further need was there that another priest should arise? What is he referring to here? Where is it? Okay. He's correct. Absolutely. But where is it that he's, what is it exactly that he's referring to when he said that there was another priest that arose, not to the order of, Mel, not to the order of Aaron, but the order of Melchizedek. Here, the author of Hebrews is referring to Psalm 110 verse 4, when God said, you are a priest forever on the order of Melchizedek, right? The book of Psalm was written way after the book of Leviticus was written, right? So you have Moses and you have all his system to try to bring people close to God. But way later on in the history of the nation of Israel in Psalm 110 verse 4, we read that verse that there is another priest will come, not according to the order of Aaron, but according to the order of Melchizedek, right? And that's what the author of Hebrews is arguing here in verse 11. He's saying if the Levitical priesthood that Moses have brought was able to solve the problem of sin, why in the world David in Psalm 110 verse 4 will talk about another high priest who will come, not like Aaron, but like Melchizedek. You guys are with me? His rhetorical question is, obviously, the old system was failing, was not working. That's why another high priest should come in a different order than that of Aaron. You guys follow what he's saying? And then it says here this in verse 11. <clears throat> um, Therefore, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. This is a key phrase. For under it people received the 
law. Under the Levitical priesthood, under the priest system of the Old Testament, the law came. In other words, the author of Hebrews is saying that the priesthood of the Old Testament was the foundation for the law that Moses had brought. And that's why in, later on in verse 12, he's arguing this. He's saying, for if the priesthood changes, it is necessity that there will be a change of the law. You guys are following me? What the author of Hebrews is saying is this. The law was the way of approaching God in the Old Testament. God gives the commandment. People have to obey the commandment. This law of the Old Testament was founded, the very foundation of that law is the priesthood of Aaron and Levi, right? And the author of Hebrews is telling us that the law and the priesthood are so mingled together that if you get to change one of them, you must change the other. You cannot keep the law of the Old Testament and have a new priest at a different order. Because the law of the Old Testament and the priesthood of the Old Testament are so intertwined, you cannot separate them. You guys are with me? You guys are with me? So the author of Hebrews is arguing this. Here is what he's saying in verse 11 and 12. It's saying if there is a solution to the problem of sin that was provided in the Old Testament under the Levitical law, why in the world David in Psalm 110, way after Moses has died, will say that there will be another priesthood who will come not on the order of Aaron, but on the order of Melchizedek, knowing that when David said that, David knew that when the priesthood order will change, also, the law and the way of approaching God will also change by default. That's what he's saying here in verse 11 and 12. Good? Yeah. All right, let's move on. Verse 13 and 14. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from the tribe of Judah, of, um, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. Let's go for the beginning. For he of whom these things are spoken. Who is he that he's referring to here? That's Jesus, correct. And what is the old things or these things that have been spoken? That's Psalm 110 verse 4. And also that story in Genesis 14 about Melchizedek. What the author of Hebrews is saying is this. That story of Genesis 14 about Melchizedek, it came, it was written as a type of how Jesus would look like. And then the prophecy of Psalm 110 verse 4, that there will be another priest who will come, that also a prophecy about Christ who will come way later on to fulfill that promise. A prophecy for he Jesus of whom these things the prophecies of the Old Testament are spoken belongs to another tribe Jesus did not come from the tribe of Levi where all the Old Testament priests came Jesus came from a different tribe Jesus came from the tribe of uh, Judah and remember this the author of Hebrews tells us that Moses didn't write anything about Judah has to deal with the altar or the priesthood or the sacrifices. Judas has nothing to do with the priesthood of the Old Testament. You guys are with me? What the author of Hebrews is telling us this. Remember in, in Genesis 14 when Melchizedek, the Bible said that he has no father, no mother, no genealogy. And we said that last week that this is not literal, that he's like a superhero or a superhuman. He had a father, he had a mother, he had a genealogy. But the scripture intentionally chose not to mention who they are so that Melchizedek will come as somebody who appeared from nowhere and never ended. You guys are with me? And that's 
What the author of Hebrews is saying here is this. The scripture in Genesis 14 portrayed Melchizedek symbolically as somebody who came out of nowhere and never ended as, his, as far as his priesthood. And that's why exactly we see the same thing was being fulfilled in Christ who came out of nowhere in the tribe of Judah. No previous priesthood from the tribe of Judah. No previous people ministering at the altar of the tribe of Judah. Just out of nowhere from a tribe that has nothing to do with the sacrificial system. Jesus our Lord has come as our high priest. In that way he is like Melchizedek. You guys are with me? So that's what he's saying here. Verse 14 is pretty much um, enforces the point of verse 13. So verse 14 is just elaborating and explaining more what he was trying to say in verse 13, which is this. For he of whom these things are spoken, of Jesus, of whom Psalm 110 and Genesis 14 are spoken, came out of nowhere, just like Melchizedek popped out of nowhere in the Old Testament to tell us that He's different, he's better, he's superior than all the Old Testament high priests. You guys are with me? All right, verse 15 and verse to verse 17. Now here's what the author of Hebrews is saying, and it is yet far more evident. So he's elaborating the argument and prevent, presenting one evidence after another, and it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest, who has come, not according to the law of fleshly commandments, but according to the power of his endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So he's continuing enforcing his argument, argument introducing that new high priest for us who, are, who is far much greater, who came on the order and the likeness of Melchizedek. It says that, Remember, Melchizedek popped out of nowhere. Jesus, in the same way, popped out of nowhere as our high priest. He did not come according to the law of fleshly commandments, which is the way every high priest in the Old Testament have come. There is requirement in the Old Testament for Aaron or any of his descendants to be a high priest. That the high priest in the Old Testament has to be a physical descendant of Aaron. His father has to be the high priest. And his grandfather has to be the high priest. And his great-grandfather has to be the great high priest. So the high priest in the Old Testament came from the line of the high priest. You cannot just... You cannot apply for that job in the Old Testament. You guys are with me? You don't have to have a good resume so you can be considered for this job. You have to have a lineage from Aaron to be considered for that. Amen? Not only that, you have to be physically fit. You have to be, uh, there's other requirements. I think you have to be at least 30 years old. Anyways, uh, uh, there are requirements, commandments, but it's all fleshly commandment. You guys are with me? Every high priest was appointed in the Old Testament based on their lineage, where they come from, their physical requirement. It's all fleshly commandment. Jesus did not come as a high priest from, because of the fleshly commandments. Amen? Joseph, the father of Jesus, was not a priest or a high priest in the nation of Israel. Amen? Jesus popped out of nowhere to be our high priest, to be just like Melchizedek. And Jesus was appointed high priest, not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to what? The power of his endless life. Jesus was appointed high priest according to the power of his endless life. 
Let's go back with me to um, verse, um, let's see here, verse 18. <clears throat> let's uh, read verse 18. I want to point something out to you. It says here in verse 18, for on one hand, there is the annulling of the foreman commandment because of its uh, weakness, right? It's weakness and unprofitableness. So when it comes to the law, the author of Hebrews chose the word weakness associated with the law of the Old Testament. You guys are with me? According to how to approach God in the Old Testament. But when it came to Jesus in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews did not choose the word weakness. Mm -hmm. The author of Hebrews chose the word power. Amen? He's trying to, I'm trying to draw your attention to the differences between approaching God in the Old Testament under the Levitical priesthood and Christ, how he's superior than every high priest of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the law is associated with weakness, but Jesus as our high priest is associated with the power, not weakness. You guys are with me? But according to the power of his endless life, the word endless in Greek actually should be translated or more accurate translation is indescribable, indescribable, indescribable life. A life that cannot be destroyed. You guys are with me? What the author of Hebrews is telling us is this. Remember, death actually tried to destroy the life of Jesus when he was living on earth. And Jesus actually died. But death failed to destroy his life. Jesus rose again from the dead on the third day. You guys are with me? And because Jesus was, his life was indestructible because death failed to destroy his life because of that power of indescribable life, indescribable life, that's why Jesus is a far much better high priest. Amen? Amen. Now, what the author of Hebrews is linking here in a way is this. is linking the power of the resurrection of Christ with him being inaugurated as our high priest. Which is something he mentioned already before in chapter 5, in verses 5 to 6. If you remember what he said there is this. He said, he linked two verses together. He links on 2 and he links on 110, if you remember all of that. In Psalm 2, it says, you are my son, today I have begotten you, which is a reference to the resurrection of Christ. And he said, you are a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is, uh, if you don't remember, I cannot blame you. But if you go back to chapter 5, verse 5 to 6, the author of Hebrews linked both that Jesus is appointed as our high priest with the resurrection of Christ, that he was appointed as the functional son of God, if you remember that. And that's what the author of Hebrews is elaborating on here. He's saying that when Jesus rose from the dead, because of the power, his endless, uh, the power of his endless life, his indestructible life, because of that, Jesus was appointed as a superior and a better high priest. Amen? The power of his endless life, destroyed, destructible life. Can't say that word, I don't know why. Uh, because of that power, Jesus lives forever. And because his life can never be destroyed, he lives forever. And because he lives forever, that's why in Psalm 110 verse 4 it says, You are a priest for how long? 
forever. Why did David say that Jesus is a priest forever? Because his life can never be destroyed. Amen? As a matter of fact, death tried it before and failed. Jesus rose from the dead. And that's what the author of Hebrews is telling us here. Every high priest in the Old Testament was appointed high priest based on the merits of their flesh and who their father is. Jesus was appointed high priest because of the power of his resurrection, that death could not even destroy his life. Amen? I don't know about you. That's a far much greater high priest. Amen? Now, <clears throat> verse 18 and 19, that's when the author of Hebrews is closing his argument here. It says this, For on one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness or unprofitableness. Verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. This is the climax of the argument that the author of Hebrews has been trying to tell us from verse 11 all the way to verse 19. That the Old Testament priesthood was failing. That's why we needed a different way of approaching God. And that's why he's telling us here in verse 18 and 19, it's the new priesthood is far much better. And in these two verses, he has that climax of his argument. He's emphasizing the argument that the Old Testament priesthood did not work and the New Testament priesthood worked by at least three different wordings and different ways. Number one, notice the wording that he's saying. On one hand, in verse 18, and then on the other hand, in verse 19. So he's definitely drawing a sharp comparison between the Old Testament way and the New Testament way. You guys are with me? And not only that, but the wording that he chose too. When it came to the Old Testament, he said there has been an annulling, a cancellation of the Old Testament method. And then in the new way, he says, and there is the bringing in or the introduction of the new way, the better hope of approaching God. You guys are with me? Now, the word annulling and the word introducing, the word annulling for the Old Testament method and introducing for the New Testament method, these two words in, in, enforce the comparison that between the Old Testament way and the New Testament way of replacing God. You guys are with me? But number two, in verse 12, if you go back and look at verse 12, it says this. It says, if the priesthood changes... There must be a change in the law as well, right? But in climaxing his argument here, the author of Hebrews took out the word change or alter from verse 12, and he replaced it by the word annulling or cancellation in verse 18, which is a far much stronger word. You guys are with me? What the author of Hebrews is telling us is this. The Old Testament way of approaching God not just has been modified or slightly changed so we can approach God with some aspects of that Old Testament but added new aspects to it. No. That Old Testament has been canceled altogether. The idea here is a, a legal term, actually. The word annulling here is a legal term. It means cancellation of debt. Something that has been legally voided and it doesn't work anymore. Amen? And then it says here this. For on one hand, there is an annulling of the what? Former commandment. Notice the word that he's using here, former. That means this was in a previous time. This was time past, and it's all gone now. It's not even applicable anymore. It's former. 
The priesthood, the Old Testament priesthood has been absolutely 100% annulled and abrogated and replaced by the New Testament priesthood that Christ came as a high priest. You guys are with me? And that is the whole point of the argument. But why? Why did the Old Testament priesthood did not work? The author of Hebrews gives us two reasons here. You guys are with me so far? Yeah. It's, uh, it's difficult, but it's a lot of fun. I am enjoying it. It says here, uh, the, oh, the law was canceled for two reasons. Can somebody help me in verse 18 and tell me what are these two reasons? Exactly. Because there's two reasons here why the law did not work. Number one, because it's weak. And number two, because it's useless. Okay? Number one, because it's weak. Now, the law of God is not weak in its inherited description. It's not because the law itself is weak. The law is weak because the law depends on you and me to do our part in the bargain so that the law would work. You guys are with me? The whole point of the law is this. God says, I'm going to give you the commandment and we say, we're going to obey it. So in order for the law to work, God has to do his part and we have to do our part. Now, God can definitely do his part. There's no question about it. The problem is that you and me, we are weak to do our part in that deal. And that's why the law is weak. The law is weak not because the law itself is bad, but because you and me cannot hold our end of that deal. You guys are with me? And that's what Paul told us similar to that in Romans 8, 3 to 4. Here's what Paul said. For what the law could not do, could not do in that it was weak. Why? Why the law was weak? Through the flesh. What flesh? Your flesh and my flesh. Because we are sinful. We cannot hold our part of that deal with God. That's why the law was weak. Because it depended on us and we could not do our part. So that's the first reason. The law was weak. But not only that, the, the law also was useless. The author of Hebrews is going to talk about this over and over and over again. All the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, all the blood of the animals that was shed in the Old Testament was not able to forgive sins before God. Yes, it can bring outside cleansing through the rituals and it, when it comes to reaching God, but it could never bring inside cleansing. And that's why later he's arguing how the law was useless. It's unprofitable. It cannot forgive sins of, of a sinful man before a holy and a righteous God. Amen? That's why it's weak and it's also useless. And that's why he concluded in verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. That's his conclusion of the Old Testament priesthood. The law, the Old Testament way of approaching God made nothing perfect. And again, the idea here, nothing perfect in terms of how a sinful man can approach a holy and a righteous God. In other words, the author of Hebrews is saying that the law failed to accomplish its goal by bringing sinful man close to a holy God because the law was never able to solve the problem of sin. Amen? That's why way after Moses died and way after... Um, Moses introduced the Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system. Years and years later, David comes in Psalm 110 and says what? Says, the Lord has sworn and shall not relent. You are a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. David even prophesied way before Christ that there will be a different high priest on a different order because the old system 
doesn't work. You guys are with me? Now, it says here that there is the introduction of the better hope through Christ. Now, why is Jesus bringing us, as Jesus as our high priest, is bringing us a better hope than that of the Old Testament? It's really simple. Because the hope of approaching God that is based on Christ actually works. But the hope of approaching God based on the Old Testament sacrificial system cannot work. You guys are with me? You guys are with me? It's like this. It's like you're going to go buy a car. Here's how I look at it. You're going to go buy a car. And the guy who sells you the car tells you, hey, this car um, broke down. I think the transmission is out. The engine is out. Everything is out. But I'll sell it to you for $500. Versus you go buy a car from the dealer that is this year's model. And you know this is a good car. This is a reliable car. has five miles on its odometer. Now, which one of these cars will give you better hope that you can drive it and get places in it? It's the new car, right? The old car, you have bad hopes. You don't, you don't have a lot of hopes that this can even work. You might not even buy it because you don't hope much in this car. And that's what the author of Hebrews is telling us here. The Old Testament, the old Testament system is non-functional. So the hope that you can approach God on that basis is very small. But the hopes of approaching Christ, approaching God based on the New Testament priesthood system is much better, much greater. Because we know that it works because Jesus actually solved the problem of sin. Amen? And then it says this, that now we have a better hope in drawing near to God, in coming close to God. <coughs> in the book of Hebrews, when the author of Hebrews says draw near to God, he has two meanings for that. In chapter 6, we have seen already that he's saying that we have the hope that is like the anchor of the soul behind that veil. You guys remember that part? In which he's talking about after we die, we go to heaven. That hope of being in the presence of God for all eternity. In that way, we draw close to God. But also in chapter 4, way before that, he said this, because we have such a great high priest, let's draw close to God that we might find, that we might find grace to help in the time of need. Obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So drawing near to God in the Hebrew, author of Hebrews mindset has two folds. It's drawing close to God in our daily prayer that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. But also, it's drawing close to God when we die and pass out of this world, and then we're going to be with God in His presence for all eternity. Both ways, we draw close to God. And He's saying, because of Jesus, we have better hope in both aspects. After we die, we're going to be in the presence of God. But also, right now, right today, you can go to the presence of God, pray and seek His face, because you have a better hope of doing that because of who Jesus is. Amen? Jesus is not just a greater high priest, which he is. He's also a different high priest. He came on a different order because the Old Testament system did not work. But the New Testament system works. Amen? Good stuff? Good. Let's pray. Let's come close to God. It's a little bit difficult. Amen.